my Lord and my God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The prayer book writers uh, chopped off the gospel here uh, because in their estimation it was redundant uh, to continue on because it's the gospel for the Feast of St. Thomas. But since St. Thomas occurs this year on a Thursday, there probably won't be a lot of redundancy for most of you. So I'm going to continue on at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the marks of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said unto Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that ends the chapter, uh, chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. I want to begin this morning by just taking a little excursus, if we can, into the, the faith journey, if you will, of the Apostle Thomas. We, uh, it's always famous, right? We always call him Doubting Thomas. That's the moniker, you know. And yet Jesus says something even worse than that. He says, Unbelieving Thomas. That's pretty tough. But Thomas, uh, Thomas was a, was a, is an interesting character. Uh, he has great faith uh, at a number of points uh, throughout the Gospels. There's a point, and it just happened a few weeks back in the chronology of the church year, where Jesus was going to take that final journey uh, to Jerusalem. He had been there twice before. The last time he was there, they picked up rocks to kill him. And so he said, you know, we're going back to Jerusalem. And on the way, he heals Lazarus, and then he triumphal entry, and the rest is Easter. And the disciples said, hey, well, you know, maybe not such a great idea to go to Jerusalem, since the last time you were there, they tried to kill you. And the whole group of them, nobody wanted to go. What does Thomas say? Let us, let us go with him and die with him also. He was ready to walk hand in hand with our Lord to martyrdom. Doesn't sound unbelieving. And then the tragedy of Calvary, and they're all dispersed. Peter denies him. Um, really, it says John and three women that stood at the cross. And so they're in the room, and they're all cowering, afraid of the Jews, afraid that they were going to be next. And Jesus appears to them. Thomas wasn't there. And they, they see Jesus, see the hand nail prints and all this, and they, lo and behold, he, you're, you're alive. You've risen from the dead. And then Thomas comes 
to be with them again for whatever reason he wasn't there. And, and uh, he doesn't believe their testimony. Not so remarkable. Mary Magdalene had told the 12, the 11 the same thing. And what did they say? Nah, okay, right. So Thomas is not some sort of extraordinary, unbelieving person here. The other 10 were the exact same way until they had eye proof, eyewitness proof, that in fact the Lord of glory had risen from the dead. But then Thomas sees him and Jesus says, go ahead, put your hands here, put your hands here if you want. Thomas doesn't do that. He says the most remarkable confession in all of the Gospels. My Lord and my God. Peter, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But that doesn't nail it on the head when you stand in front of this man, who granted is more than a man, obviously, and you say, God. That's a big deal. That's the biggest deal. In fact, this, this, uh, this, this saying here in the Latin, Dominus meum et Deus meum, my Lord and my God, is something that faithful people have often done uh, during the Eucharist at the elevation. They see the elevation and they say, my Lord and my God. It's, a, it's, a, it's not said out loud, it's said under the breath, but it's a, it's a, it's a, a devotion, a Eucharistic devotion. I would encourage everyone in this. It's beautiful. Thomas's faith is restored. Thomas's faith is outstanding. How did Thomas get his faith back? He was gathered with the apostles. If you want to see Jesus, and if you want your faith restored after a week, you need to come and be with the apostles. They have left descendants our bishop, and their helpers, the second order priests. And they are here to show you Jesus every week. The restoration of faith comes when you are with the apostles. Now, let's put that aside for a second. Three times Jesus says, peace be unto you, or peace be with you. Do you know that in the Eucharist, only a bishop can say that? You will never hear Father Wesley turn around unless someday they put a mitre on him <laughs> uh, and say, and look at him, he doesn't want the mitre, and say, peace be unto you. And of course the response is, and, and with thy spirit. Only a bishop can say that. It's a remarkable statement. It is a pronouncement of the cessation of, the, of the, the enmity between us and God. See, we were all born rebels against God, but through baptism in Christ and through the atonement of the cross, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer enemies of God. You may not have ever felt to be an enemy of God, but you were. But you can see the effects of it. For this peace is not some sort of cessation of hostility. I mean, the world is the world. There's still conflict in the world. You're not living in peace with even your neighbors probably too much. There's always going to be conflict in this world. So then what then is this peace? 
Well, the peace is the inner peace, the, the calmness and quietness of the soul, like a baby on his mother's breasts. Why then, and this is true of me, do so often we don't experience that peace? Why don't we, why don't we walk around, you know, with this, this calmness of soul that no matter what happens in life, we're good. We're good. I will tell you why. Because our hearts are factories of idols. Because of all the objects in the world that draw our attention away from God. This and that and that and whatever. It can be a people. It can be a thing. It doesn't matter. It's not God. You see, when God eclipses all of that stuff in your life, then you will experience that peace because you have peace with Him through Jesus Christ. So now, when God is everything... You're at peace. It's attachments. And not in some sort of Buddhist way. I've I've heard atheists before say, oh, you know, I I like Buddhism because, you know, it provides that inner peace. And there is a sense in which the Buddhists do preach detachment from the world. But then nihilism at the end of your life. That's a big fat comfort. Yeah, you're just going to be absorbed into the force. It's the religion of Star Wars. It's nonsense. No, you want you you were made with him. We said your soul. He said this to me this morning. He was right. Your soul can't be destroyed. <laughs> it will be with God. We should be with Him now, even as we fade from this life and be with Him forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.